Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are starting a brand new series today entitled Rediscover Jesus. Now, let me explain to you why we're doing this series at this particular time. And I'm going to go and tell you this is somewhat of a lengthy explanation. Um, It's because I feel like we have individually and collectively uh, as a church um, here at Elevate and as a church nationwide, we have taken our eyes off of Jesus. We have been so preoccupied with everything that's going on around us. Um, There has been and is today so much going on to distract us from Jesus. And I want you to think about this. This has been going on for almost a year now. All right, so it all started mid-March with COVID-19. And and you may remember, uh, schools began to shut down. They shut down sports. You know it's serious if they shut down billion-dollar industries. They just shut them down. Churches shut down. We were shut down for months. Small businesses were shut down, some to never reopen again. People were isolated. They, They were by themselves. They were contained, and so depression skyrocketed. Alcohol consumption went up. Domestic uh, violence went up. You had loved ones who got sick. We had some beautiful, beautiful people, members of Elevate Christian Church, that have, that have passed away because of COVID-19. Some of you lost loved ones because of this. Okay, so we've had all of that since March, this, this whole COVID-19 thing going on, and we're still dealing with it today. Uh, if I would have asked you in March of last year, if you thought we would be here in January of the next year, you would have thought I was crazy, but here, here we are. And so we still have all of that kind of pressing down on us. Well, it wasn't long after that you had the 2020 protests, which were really riots in disguise. You had portions of cities just being burned to the ground. Businesses destroyed. Innocent business owners had their business gone. Cars torn apart. People being hurt. Violence beginning more violence. It happened in this city. Now we're going to go to this city and this city. It was was everywhere. People crying to defund the police. I mean, it it pointed to the fact that we are a racially divided country still today, but it also pointed to the fact that we are a very politically divided country. And so all of that mess is still before us. We still have to wrestle with it. We still have to address it, address fairness and equality for for all people. That's still fresh. That's still raw. That's still weighing heavy on us. But we kind of put that on hold because then came... The 2020 election. Boy, wasn't that fun? I mean, that was some good times, right? Um, That's all people talked about. But they didn't just talk, did they? They fought and they argued and and social media became this, this great battleground for people to slander and hate and bully people around. Sometimes members of their own families. 
People turned out in the polls in record numbers. And we all waited and waited and waited some more. And then waited a little bit longer for these votes to come in and you're pulling your hair out and you're thinking, how long does it take to, to count these votes? And then we had a winner declared. But the election was contested. And so that only fueled more fire, more hate that is just now absolutely consuming social media. I mean, there's just hate everywhere. And there it is. It's still pressing down on us, right? We're still waiting for this inauguration. And I've, hear, I've heard all kinds of these crazy conspiracies Theories from both sides. When Biden becomes president, there's troops at the border from China waiting to come take over. Or Trump's going to declare martial law. Get your gas, get your food, hide your kids, hide your wife. Like, you know, all these conspiracy theories are, are just everywhere, just pressing down on us with this crushing force because we are all pulling our hair out going, who do we believe now? You can't find truth anywhere. And so that is just crushing us and, and just pressing in on us. If you're watching online, we're from Georgia, if you're not from Georgia. And I want to say this, the rest of the country got a break, didn't they? After the election, they got a break. They got six weeks to enjoy their families, to enjoy Thanksgiving, to enjoy Christmas, to enjoy New Year's. But not here, did we? And we begin to hear, the pressure's on you, Georgia. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Pressure's on me. It's up to you to decide the fate of this country. And, 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 and you know, all four candidates engaged in this just vicious smear campaign. I've, I've lived here for 21 years, 22 years. I've never seen anything like it. And you couldn't escape it, could you? It was commercial after commercial, after commercial, after commercial on the TV, on the radio, on the internet, on YouTube. I mean, it was everywhere. My seven-year-old daughter finally came to me. She watches YouTube, and she said, I don't know who this John Ossoff is, but I'm sick of hearing his name. Because you couldn't escape it. There were just advertisements everywhere. I got 11 text messages in one day. Phone call after phone call after phone call and conversations just dominated social media. It was everywhere. Now it's over. And then we look to 2021. Remember everyone was saying, man, I can't wait for 2020 to be over because it can't get any worse in 2021? So far it feels worse, doesn't it? All culminating on January the 6th. When the Capitol building was stormed. People are blaming other people. Groups are blaming other groups. Here's all I know. People got hurt. Innocent people got killed. There was destruction of property. You had all these other conspiracy theories going around. It is at a fever pitch on social media. Family members are divided over this. Some of you have family members that may not even speak to you because of this. Friendships have been broken over this and instead of backing up and just listening to one another we just dehumanize each other so we can tear each other down to make our point all of this breeding more hate more racism more social injustice more violence more division more political corruption and here we are just caught up in the middle of it 
So you had all that going on. And then on a personal level, man, I want to speak to you from my heart just for a second. Caused me to take my eyes off Jesus. To focus on the world's problems rather than Jesus, God's solution. Hebrews 12.2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And I, like you, have been consumed and discouraged and beaten down. My eyes have been fixed on COVID. You know, in Bible college and seminary, they did no training on how to get a church through a 100-year pandemic. I had no idea what con- contract tracing meant or, or, or what all these, uh, checking with the, with the uh, CDC and all, this things, all these things going on and, and on a personal level. It just ravaged our volunteers. You know, Will, our, our worship minister, would call and say, hey, so-and-so was in contact with someone who had COVID. We don't know who's going to be on stage. They got tested. We might not find out till Friday or Saturday. Our production team, they were ravaged too. Our children's department. Counseling was off of the charts for me. I did more counseling these last six months than I've done in the, the 20 years before that. Why? Because people are desperate. They're depressed. They're financially in trouble. Marriages are in trouble because of finances. Couples are cooped together in a house, and then they realize they can't stand each other. And all this counseling was done primarily over the phone or, or, or FaceTime. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. It has absolutely depleted my soul. I'm tired. I'm tired of the news. I'm tired of talking about the economy. I'm tired of talking about COVID. I'm tired of talking about the president. I'm tired of talking about the election. I'm tired of talking about the riots. I'm tired of the gloom and despair. And my guess is I'm not alone. My guess is that many of you have done the same. With that in mind, I need to tell you what I, what, what I need personally. Man, I need to change the scenery. I need a drastic change in my life. I need a change in my family's life. A radical, different perspective. A different viewpoint. A new attitude. What I need is to engage with Jesus in large Costco-sized quantities. I need more Jesus in my life. I need to bathe in him, drown in him, engage with Jesus, the Savior of the universe, in the largest quantities possible to rediscover that Jesus is about love, not hate, to to understand that Jesus can reinstate anybody's joy, to understand that if we are born again believers in the blood of Christ, we have hope beyond hope. To realize that Jesus is still all-knowing, all-powerful. He's everywhere. He cannot be contained. To, To understand that he is so loving, that he is also sovereign. He wants to be involved in my life, and he wants to be involved in yours. Man, I need him in large, large quantities. My guess is so do you. So this is why we're going to do this series for the next 12 weeks rediscover Jesus. It's going to conclude on Easter Sunday, and I really just want you to 
engage with Jesus in large quantities with me over the next 12 weeks. If you've been watching us online for a while, you, you probably realize I've been teaching a lot lately out of John's writings, John the Apostle, the Apostle, probably the best friend that Jesus had on this earth. It's kind of been my fortress. This is where I've hidden for the last few months. And I want to spend 12 weeks here talking about Jesus. And it's my hope that you, dis- that you discover Jesus if you don't know him and you don't love him. Or if you're like me, that you take your eyes off of the chaos of the world and you fix your eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. That you rediscover that Jesus is the Lord of life. That's why I love John's gospel. If I were to recommend a gospel for a new Christian to read, John would be the last one I'd recommend. Because it's pretty complicated, it's pretty heavy, it's pretty weighty, it's pretty deep. But it's where I want to spend 12 weeks. And I want you to rediscover Jesus. And the reason I love John's gospel is because he talks a lot about light and life. In fact, he mentions the word life 47 times in his gospel. And so for the duration of this series, I'm going to use an outline from a, a reality church in Boston, a great church doing great things up there. So let me read our text this morning. I'm going to be in, in the book of John, chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to go to verses 9 through 14. So here we go. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. Let me just pause right there, and I want you to notice the punctuation of the word, Word, there. It's capital. It's for a reason. And the Word, capital W, was with God. And the Word, capital W, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I want, you to, I want you to stand on that promise today. The darkness will not overcome Jesus. There is no political party greater than Jesus. There is no pandemic greater than Jesus. Jesus overcomes everything because he is the Lord of light and the Lord of life. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who gave, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, capital W, became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, John begins his narrative with this theme of life, that Jesus is a purveyor of true everlasting life, with the money phrase being in John 1-4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What John is referring to here is eternal life. 
We have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now, how do we lay hold of that life? Or, or more importantly, how do we live in this promise, in this chaotic world that Jesus is the Lord of, of life and that he's got everything under control? How do we lay hold of that? I think John gives us the answer in the text, and so I want to offer you three things to consider. Number one, and we don't talk about this enough in the church. We only talk about this at Christmas time. I want you to consider God's revelation. Revelation. That the Word, capital W, became flesh. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John starts his gospel out different than the other three guys. He doesn't start it out with a baby in a manger. He starts his gospel out on this really cosmic level. That the Lord of life has always been here. And he always will be. He says, in the beginning was the word. What does that sound like? It sounds like Genesis 1-1, doesn't it? In the beginning, God. And so John is, in, is unveiling a revelation to his readers. He's saying, listen, he, he's comparing Jesus to God. And he's saying, you don't underestimate the fact that he put on flesh. He left heaven because he loved you that much. Verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh. What's interesting, in the book of John, when you see the word word with the capital W, in the Greek, that word is logos or logos. And logos is where we get our word logic. It's where we reason and, and, and we find if things are, are truthful and, and logical. And so in the Greek language, when it says in the beginning was the word, that, that word picture being painted there is in the Greek language means the divine mind of God. And John's saying, listen, in order to find true life, eternal life, life that, that is worth living, sometimes we have to adjust our lives to Logos, to the Word, to Jesus, to the very mind and thoughts of God. And what we need to understand is that Jesus made this revelation personal. That's what the evangelical evangelical community preaches a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because we have a personal revelation from Jesus Christ that the mind the divine mind of God can be known personally to you through the revelation of Jesus Christ that phrase the word became flesh remember the Greek is all about word pictures what that means is that Jesus became vulnerable he became soft. Think about your flesh, how soft and, and how fleeting life is. That Jesus became vulnerable and soft for me. He became vulnerable and soft for you. And this is what this tells me, and I want you to understand this. God is not far from your pain. He is not far from your weakness. He is not far from your fear. He is right there with you. He was wrapped in flesh. He was vulnerable. He gets it. He understands. He can sympathize with us all because he knew hunger and thirst and pain and loneliness and violence and death and betrayal. He knew it all. But he willingly stepped out of heaven, wrapped himself in flesh to bring the revelation of God to you and I. A soldier was leaving to go fight in World War II. He left behind his wife and newborn baby boy. He said, I'll be back soon. 
Little, little did he know it wouldn't be soon that he would be back. Four years of war and fighting went by. And the young mother would, would take that baby who was now a little boy and, and she would sit him in front of the picture uh, of his father and he would say, see, that's your daddy. One day he's going to come home. In reality, she didn't know what to expect. One morning the boy smiled and said, Mom, wouldn't it be great if Daddy would just step out of that picture frame into our lives? You see, in a very real sense, that's what God did 2,000 years ago. When he became soft and vulnerable, he wrapped himself in flesh. It was part of his eternal plan to step out of heaven so that you and I could look at Jesus and say, yes, that's what God looks like. So we have his revelation. And then number two, we have his salvation. And the thing I want you to understand is that his revelation leads to our salvation. Because scripture says he dwelt among us. Look at verse 14 again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That phrase dwelt among us, do you know what that's saying in the Greek? It's, it's the same language, if you translate it into Hebrew, that means tabernacle, tent, temporary structure. If you were here for the beauty and the feast series, we talked a lot about that, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. But in the book of Exodus, God's people are in the wilderness wandering for 40 years. They're in their deepest, darkest time. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build me a temporary structure. I want you to build me a tent. And I'm going to live there. In my Shekinah glory, I will be there. A cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. I will dwell with my people even during their darkest times. And we need to understand that on that cross, Jesus entered into the darkest times of all. He entered into my darkness. Jesus stepped into the, the, the recesses of your heart. Entered into your darkness to bring light and life and salvation. Look what John writes in chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. He says, in this judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What John is saying is this, man, we've got to bring our darkness into the light of Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one that can help us. He's the only one that can heal us. He's the only one that can forgive us. I want to take you to another writing of John real quick, not in his gospel, but in his first epistle, his first letter to the church, 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship while we're in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. 
See, John's saying we got to just keep taking our darkness to the cross. Keep taking our darkness to the light. The, the, the light of the cross will expose it, expunge it, forgive it. It'll be gone because the ground is always level at the cross. You ever heard that phrase? Preachers will throw that around. The ground is level at the cross. How many of you ever heard that? The phrase was actually taken from an old lyrics from a, an old song by uh, Beverly Lowry. And I, I want to I read you just a little bit of, of some of the lines from the song. Quote, you may own earth's silver, have riches untold, but all earth's wealth, my friend, won't save your soul. You may live in a mansion, all the world knows your name, but at the foot of the cross, my friend, everyone stands the same. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Anyone may come there at no cost. Rich man or poor man, bonded or free. The ground was leveled that day at Calvary. You see, God's revelation led to our salvation so that we could echo the words of John with all the confidence in the world when he says in our text, John 1, 12, but to all of us who did receive that gift of eternal life, that blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. To all of you, to all of us who did receive, who believed in his name, he gave us, you and me, the right to become children of God. You see, the Lord of life was a revelation that led to our salvation, which leads to number three, finally, our transformation. Because we have seen his glory. In other words, because of the revelation and the salvation, there should be a change in our lives. We should look different. We should do things different than the world. There should be a change in our outlook, our attitude, our joy. Our cha a change in the way we live our lives. A change in the way we view politics, a change in the way we love our families, a change in the way we where and how we spend our money, a change in the way we treat other people, a change in the way we use our physical bodies, a transformation due, because of, due to our salvation. Once upon a time, there was a prince, and he fell in love with a fair maiden. But the enemy captured the fair maiden, and you guessed it, they kept her captive in a very tall tower. Now the prince had a plan to rescue her, and he recruited the help of two small creatures to send a message to his fair maiden. The first creature he sent was a caterpillar named Claude. Claude the Caterpillar. I guess he was a good enough guy, but Claude was kind of a crusty old character. Always complaining. Anyway, the prince gave Claude a message and Claude started inching up that huge tower, just inch by inch. He began to complain himself. He said he had to pick the hottest day of the year. The sun's beating down on me. I'm burning up. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm not, I might be a piece of bacon by the time I make it up there. I'm gonna be, it's just so hot. Well, no sooner than he said that, there was a shift in the wind and a storm blew in. 
And he was getting muddy and soaked and wet, and the water was trying to push him down as he was trying to climb that tower wall. And he just complained and complained and griped and moaned. And then he found a vine, and he was going up the vine, and there were some roses on it, and he kept stepping on the thorns. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Well, he finally reached the window. He was out of breath, and he heaved himself up on the, on the ledge of the window, and he saw the fair maiden up there, and he said, Hey, lady, come here. Are you the maiden in distress? And she said, Why, yes, I am. He said, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I climbed half the day up here for you, for the likes of you. I have no idea what the prince sees in you. Anyway, he sent me with this message. You wouldn't believe how hard it was for me to get up here, by the way. Here's the message. Get ready. He's coming for you. Five o'clock sharp. Be ready. You understand? And off went Claude. Then the prince sent Barney. The butterfly. And Barney wasn't too sure of himself. There's a lot of wind and rain, but he sure was going to try to fly up there. He lifted his wings and they lifted him gracefully into the air. But as he got higher and higher, he began to struggle against the wind and the rain that, that was blowing him back and forth. And, and just about he was just about the time he was about to reach the window, a bird swooped down and nearly ate him whole. And he flew around and he fluttered around and the bird chased him and he finally made it into the tower. And he landed softly on the princess's hand. And she brought Barney the butterfly very close. And he said, oh, lovely and favored maiden, the prince loves you dearly. At the sound of his voice, jump from the window. And he will most assuredly catch you in his arms. The maiden smiled and she said, well, thank you, beautiful butterfly. You're so sweet. But tell me, why did the caterpillar bring this good news in such a nasty manner? He was so rude, so terse and so rough. And the butterfly replied, oh, you mean Claude? Yeah, that's just Claude. I used to be that way too until I was transformed. Revelation led to our salvation, which should lead to a transformation. The Apostle Paul nailed it when he said this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I love that phrase, beholding the glory of the Lord. Here's what Paul is saying to us. Beholding is becoming. The more we behold the majesty, the power, the sovereignty, the love, the grace, the mercy, the hope, the truth, the light, and the life of Jesus Christ, the more we should purvey that to other people because beholding is becoming. We have a heavenly Father, and it's time to bear a resemblance to our heavenly Father. 
I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of me when I was a little boy. I don't know how old I was. Uh, and then on the other side is my son Calvin. This is a couple years ago. Um, he's like me. His hair was, uh, he was a towhead, and then as he got older, it turned, it turned darker. Um, but of my five children, no one bears a resemblance more than Calvin to me. You can look at that boy and say, yeah, that's his daddy. He looks just like him. We bear a family resemblance. Friends, when we come into God's family, we should bear a family resemblance. We should look more like him today than we did yesterday. And more like him tomorrow than we did today. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have not looked like my heavenly father lately. Because I've been consumed with politics and pandemics, people dying, fake news. We see his glory and we look more and more like him. You know what's interesting is um, I don't really fit in with preachers very well. I don't like preachers. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? <laughs> I'm a preacher, and I don't, I don't really like preachers. I've got one, one really good preacher friend in the area. And, man, he, he has just breathed. His name's Kirk Waddell. Some of you who worship here don't even know we have another church that worships next door at 1 o'clock. And so if we're not your cup of tea here, bounce one over there at 1 o'clock because you will get fed the word of God there too. But anyway, he has just breathed life uh, into, into me. But... I've always heard preachers say this, and, and, and I've never really agreed with it, and you've probably heard this too. Hey, you need to invite Jesus into your life. You ever heard that? Just invite Jesus into your life. And I'm thinking about that from a, from a logical, rational point of view, and I'm thinking, man, Jesus doesn't want to come into your life. Your life's a wreck. Your life's a mess. My life's a wreck. My life's a mess. It's not about you inviting Jesus into your life. It's about Jesus inviting you into his life. Because his life is a life that works. His life is a life that brings life to us. His life is the light of the world. He says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. And they may have it abundantly. And so we need mass quantities of Jesus. I'm not saying don't pay attention to uh, the COVID stats. I'm not saying don't be involved in politics. I'm saying don't let that rule your life. Because you will not find life in that. And I'm saying this. Jesus is far less worried about who you voted for. He's more worried about who you live your life for. Jesus, the Lord of life, is inviting us into his life. Forty-seven times John mentions life. And he's mostly referring to eternal life. One other thing I would just have you know in passing. We, we throw that phrase eternal life around a lot. And it's like futuring. One day... We'll have eternal life. When I die, I'll be resurrected, and then eternal life begins. No, eternal life begins today. If you follow Jesus today, 
you're going to live forever no matter what. And we've got to grasp that concept. When Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, he's not just talking about post-resurrection in heaven. He's talking about now. Eternal life begins now. We find life now. We can live in the light and the life of Jesus today. It was Peter T. Forsythe who was right when he said this, quote, The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. I love that. Have you found your master? Your master is not Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden. Your master is not Donald Trump or Mike Pence. Your master is my master, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the universe. In him, we find life eternally and abundantly. And so I would ask you to leave today asking yourself these two questions. Not only today, but throughout the duration of the week. They're real simple. Number one is this. What am I trusting What am I trusting in for life? Where do I find life? And number two, and maybe more importantly than that, is this. Where is God calling you to come into the light that you may have life? Maybe he's calling you to bring your marriage into his light because he might be the only one that can breathe hope into it. Maybe he's calling for you to bring your addiction into the light so that he can bring life into you. Maybe he's calling you to bring your finances in into his light so he can breathe life back into them. Maybe he's calling our, our, your fear into the light so that we don't live a, in a spirit of fear. We don't live in, 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 a, in this spirit of always looking over our shoulder and being afraid. We live in the boldness that Jesus will take care of us. What is he calling for you to bring into the light that he may breathe life into you? We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.